We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in to the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. Today we are going to dive into RotoWire's Dynasty mock that that we ran with some industry friends of ours we're going to break down our teams uh there's plenty more to to get to on that as well we we also dipped our toes into some best ball discussion i just did my first uh post draft best ball over on underdog so we're going to get into the results there so, some interesting little takeaways there and then a couple of polarizing or underrated players that we'll dive into a little bit later on in the show let's get it rolling Welcome back in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, again, brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty owner John McKechnie, Mario Puig, hanging out with you on this Wednesday. We're a couple weeks now past the draft, so now we're starting to look ahead to draft season. We've got best ball season now kind of fully underway in in, in some sense. It, for sickos like us, absolutely, it's, it, it, it has begun. Um, and, of course, you know we're starting to see in, in your Dynasty Leagues, Rookie drafts are, are coming out, all that good stuff. But for the Roadwire Fantasy Football Magazine, which will be on newsstands this summer, I believe, um, we did. We went ahead, and I think this is the first uh, Dynasty mock that's ever been in the Roadwire Magazine. So Dynasty getting a little bit more shine, a little bit more mainstream now. So we went ahead. Uh, Alan Soslowski, uh, our man, went ahead and, and organized it. A bunch of guys from the industry joined in for it, along uh, with yourself. And I, so Mario, why don't you just kind of give us a, a little breakdown on, on how this went for you. You were picking first overall, I believe, or is, is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if that was a randomized draft order or if that was Alan doing some, you know, ref home cooking kind of thing there, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had the first pick. So I kind of went with more of a win now kind of roster perhaps just because when I have the first pick in a dynasty startup at the moment, I would, I would feel compelled to take Jonathan Taylor there. And especially when it's a running back that you're taking at that first pick, like you got to start competing right away. Cause uh, I'm, I'm obviously like this um, pro running back kind of uh, like pro bono lobbyist or whatever, but I would also acknowledge that they of course play the, the most uh, violent position among the skill position players. And so they necessarily, 
uh, do have shorter lifespans as prospects or as, as viable fantasy assets. So uh, taking Jonathan Taylor, I was like, I got to take that. I got to do a, a minimum eight Pete with uh, him on the roster. And so I, I didn't really care so much about taking long-term lottery tickets, especially because uh, incidentally, as it turned out, I thought people were taking rookies way too high. So I didn't take a single one, I don't think. And uh, I, I definitely imagined myself uh, competing now. Yes. But I thought there were so many, uh, good veterans pushed down the board. I thought I was even getting good three, four-year window guys uh, who are going to be starters for me uh, while other people were taking rookies who might give them that same window but also could just not be good at all. So, uh, yeah, I went with all veterans even though I'm supposed to be like, you know, one of the, the rookie people in the, 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 one of the one of the prospect people in this this draft. Right, exactly. So the, I think that that's, that's pretty telling. And, and you know, like, like you said, uh, you you come back around on the on the set on the second turn. You you get Patrick Mahomes and Austin Eckler, so that that just kind of like locks you into to that win now uh, type of mentality. And and you went ahead uh, DeAndre Hopkins a little bit later. So obviously another win now because uh, and specifically like I'm I'm getting a little greedy there where I'm like if I can just get through those first six weeks then then I've got the juggernaut uh, fully assembled. But I do think in that case it would be a juggernaut. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely do too. That that would be an, a pretty electric start there. Um, your thoughts on on you know maybe some of these rookies that that went early? I th- think let's see here. As the first one was Drake London, right? Drake London uh, Dalton, to, Dalton. Dal- to Dalton in, in the uh, second pick or first pick of the second round, and then you got to go back a little bit further to to find some. Or Brees oh. Hall also went in the first round. Uh, my mistake there. Oh, that was my bad. And then uh, Garrett Wilson uh, went in the second round as well. Traylon Burks went in the second round. Kenneth Walker um, also went in the second round. So, again, ahead of guys like Patrick Mahomes, Austin Eckler, Tyreek Hill, jo- uh, Josh Allen, Cam Akers, um, Devontae Smith even. Um, so interesting, you know, kind of uh, enthusiasm for, for some of these rookies that, like you said, you know, could have that star potential, but also we don't we don't fully know yet. Yeah, I like the Brees Hall pick uh, by Alex Dunlap at the, uh, what is that, like seventh, something like that. Like, totally fine with that pick, totally fine with Dalton taking Drake London. I'm, I'm a big London fan. I'm, I'm still a bit of a truther for Arthur Smith. So uh, wrongly or not, I'm still optimistic. For, I'm, I'm very optimistic for that whole thing. So those two rookie picks I like a lot. Pretty much the rest of them I don't really um, like. John, years years of uh, Ty Chandler in the second to last round. That's that's harmless. I I, I definitely think that's uh, a good one. But saw some guys that just you know might might be out of the league pretty soon. Uh, let alone the question of them sticking in the league and being good. And I'm specifically thinking about guys like Brian Robinson and the LSU running back. Uh, those guys went pretty high over a number of veteran uh, proven players, including proven running backs. So that kind of stuff, I just, I just, I don't know what, I don't know what the thinking is there. I, I don't, I can't, I can't follow it. I can't follow it. It's not that I uh, can imagine a reason that I just disagree with. It's like, I can't think of the reason in the first place. Um, Garrett Wilson too, I think was a reach just because, I mean, he's, he's a very good prospect of course. And in a rookie dynasty draft, you know, take him wherever you want, really um, as high as you want really. But in this draft, he went ahead of, you know, Tyreek Hill, Chris Godwin, Devontae Smith, a uh, bunch of guys, uh, Hopkins and Gabriel Davis. Davis, I'm very high on. I think he should have gone much earlier than where I took him. 
So oh, and Mike like Mike Evans way down in like the the fifth round, going like four. What is that like forty picks later than uh, Garrett Wilson? I, I don't think mm. you want to be in that team spot because if you're making that pick, you are not competing for at least a couple of years. Um, and the team that takes Evans isn't exactly taking him at a price where they're they're losing prospect uh, capital necessarily. Like it, Evans in the what is this? This is Cody Carpenter's fifth round pick. So. In the fifth round there, it's like he's going to get Evans, maybe a top 12 type receiver, especially if Godwin starts slow this year. And Evans is only, what, like 28, 29? So that that team could get three or four years of top 15 wide receiver returns from Mike Evans, while Garrett Wilson is just hoping that the Jets cut Zach Wilson and finally draft a good quarterback in two years, you know? Right. So, I mean – I wrote up the the rookies article for for the Roadwire magazine, and you know it, it, Wilson was such a tricky blurb to tackle because you, you got like a hundred words to kind of sum it up uh, for 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 this year with these guys, and it's like I, I think that the star potential for for Wilson is pretty obvious, but I think it it's just kind of presumptuous to to say that he hits the ground running so well when not only you have guys like Elijah Moore and Corey Davis, who are not scrubs by any mean. And it means, and, you know, Elijah Moore might, might turn into something really, really good. Not totally sure what, what Corey Davis w- will continue to, to be necessary. One year at most. Yeah. They they're definitely done with him after this year. So we'll see if they get some other big guy or whatever. And then, you know, that, that on top of the fact that, you know, Zach Wilson could be just kind of an anchor if, if he doesn't take that step forward. So you, you look at that and it's like, well, you have two years of, of, two, three years of frustrating quarterback play for Wilson. And like, I don't care how good you are like that. That's going to you know be a drag on your fantasy value relative to maybe some of the other guys. Yeah. And um, I, I guess, uh, I mean, I guess I should say too, this is, this is a mock draft. And, and of course in mock drafts, people can do things more as like thought experiments or, or just to kind of be uh, devil's advocate or whatever. Because uh, there's no stakes, it's just uh, you know it's all hypothetical or whatever. So that that can kind of explain some of these picks, I guess. But and something like take, taking uh, taking let's see what this is. This is a it's like Damian Pierce went ahead of Chase Edmonds and Damian Harris. You know, it's like that's that's a starting that's that's probably the the snap leader at running back for the Dolphins and Edmonds. And then Harris is probably that the we got to consider him the heavy favorite to lead the Patriots' backfield in production this year. And then he's a free agent after this year. And, you know, if this guy's leading the New England backfield in production and then hits free agency, do we think he's going to go be a backup somewhere else? I don't really expect that. I think he must have gotten hurt if that happens. So there's just cases of like that where where rookies um, who don't even really have actually as much upside as might be imagined. You know, there's upside with these these some of these prospects, but some of the guys go up the board almost. It just seems like because they're new fresh names that we don't already associate, you know, bitterness with, even though we will in like two months. Yeah. So that, yeah, that, that'll come, the, the, the bloom will come off the rose, uh, maybe not, not too long from now with, with some of these guys, uh, Julia, a uh, regular viewer uh, for our show uh, over on YouTube wants to know what, what are the weaknesses when, when it comes to Brian Robinson? Robinson is someone who went in what the seventh round of, of this draft. Yes. Um, so he went in the seventh, uh, I believe it was yeah, like mid mid seventh. So yeah, he went a pick before Hunter Renfro and two before Kareem Hunt. That's Kareem Hunt is is going to be a free agent after this year, and in the meantime, he's going to play thirty snaps a game for the Browns. Like you can't take Robinson ahead of Kareem Hunt. 
Uh, Tony Pollard is going to be a free agent soon. He was uh, three picks later. And in the meantime is the no doubt handcuffed to Ezekiel Elliott. So I just mean cases like that. It's, it's, it's too early. Although in Robinson's case, uh, I'll go ahead and say it. He's never going to start in the NFL unless uh, players ahead of him get hurt. And once those players are not hurt, he will go to the bench forever. And I don't even think he's going to be in the NFL in four years. The reason I say that is he played for four years for Alabama and did basically nothing. He was um, he, he played a role for four years, like most walk on running backs do for a team. Like you just play a garbage time. You'd get, uh, you know, goal line carries when they're up 35 points against Vanderbilt or whatever. And that was his role for four years before starting in 2021 when, yeah, he took on the starting role for Alabama, but A, he averaged less than five yards per carry. And B, that was a fifth season that he only got because COVID afforded an extra year of eligibility to him. So if we try to imagine where Robinson would have gone in the 2021, uh, 2021 draft, as a player who had a career high of what, like 290 yards in a season uh, playing as the Alabama third and fourth running back the entire time, he would not get drafted. It's not a question. He would not get drafted. He wouldn't go in 12 round draft, let alone a seven round one, let alone in the first three rounds of one. So that's a problem for me. And it's, it's also the five yards per carry detail. Like I actually, because I'm insane, looked this up. Um, The last time that happened for an Alabama starting running back was this guy named Terry Grant. Uh, like 15 years ago, uh, I, was, like I, was, I, was, I was defaming Glenn Coffey. You know, I was, I was like, he's the worst Alabama back since Glenn Coffey. He's like, no, Glenn Coffey was way better than Brian Robinson. <laughs> Much more I, better player. I love the dedication to to really um, drill down to to the, you know, absolute center of the earth to to, to find that one. Hey, man, the only other thing I'll say is if it didn't work for TJ Yeldon, it sure as hell isn't going to work for Brian Robinson. And, you know, I, I also think, you know, not for nothing, but I don't think that Robinson even takes on the role that he did this past season. If Alabama has better options in the sense that like, well, if Jerome had, Ford didn't transfer, he would have started over Robinson. So there, there's that. I think that, you know, Trey Sanders, he's had some knee issues. So like uh, he, he's just not what he could have been, unfortunately, but like Jace McClellan and, and Roy Dell Williams, like I think that both of those guys, if they were both healthy, like they were, I think, Class of 2020, you know, borderline. The son of that uh, two lane receiver from like 20 years ago. It's funny. <laughs> Could be. I didn't, um, didn't expect to yeah. see that name again. Um, in the South, anyway. But... Yeah. So Robinson had chances to play in those first four years, you know, like he, he could have gotten more onto the field, better running backs for Alabama did. Uh, then I know, I guess part of it too, is probably people are confused over the, the combine 40 times this year. And I'm sorry, they're all wrong. Every single one is faster than what it actually was. Uh, the one with the least discrepancy from his real time in the in this the so-called official times is Pierre Strong, who was given a 4.37 after actually running a 4.39. In a case like Brian Robinson, it was initially reported as a 4.62, I believe. And then when they did the, the adjusted versions where everyone inexplicably was given up to a tenth of a second cut from their, their time, which has never happened before. It's, every other time, it's always been the opposite. Every single combine, every single instance, you go from unofficial times to official times, the times get less uh, generous. They get, they get slower this time. They're saying they're a 10th faster in each case. No way. Uh, especially not Robinson. He doesn't run a four five two. He's, he's Alfred blue. He's too tall. He's not heavy enough for how tall he is. He's not fast enough for how too big of a target he is being at the anchor deficit that he is at his height. He's just not going to play. And Jared Patterson will run ahead of him this year. 
There it is. All right. So that that's a good, like, exp- I'm sure we'll unfortunately have to circle back on Brian Robinson because I, I feel like. Well, when Gibson breaks his toe again or whatever. Yeah. Then he'll play. Yeah. That, then, you know, we'll, we'll have, we'll have another troll feeding at that point, but um, you know, for, for now that this is a, a, you know, take the kind of bat, like the draft capital absolutism before that, like really became a thing. I feel like a lot of narrative would, would always be like this team drafts like crap all the time. So like, why would you put stock in a team that drafts like crap? Well, even oh, if like you want to do him, that, they took, they took him in the third round. It's like that, they took Gibson the in the earlier team. third round already. You know, like he's mm-hmm. a later pick than Antonio Gibson, and he's just there's no indication he'll be an NFL viable running back. Other than that, a team that always makes bad decisions probably made another one here. That's about as weak of a case as I can imagine. Yeah, so that completely agree with that one. Uh, Julia adds on this will probably be. This is a really good question, so I think we'll, we'll have to maybe uh, oh, yeah. make a note of this for, for next week's show as we get a couple more best ball uh, drafts in. But, you know, your, your top three, like, rankings differentials uh, for between best ball and, and redraft for, for this year. So keep that in mind for, for next week, Mario. We're doing some live prep on this week's show. But, um, yeah, I mean, that there is always kind of a difference in, in the way you approach a, a redraft league versus a best ball. Um, you know, what, what are kind of – without mentioning maybe some specific names, unless you have some, you know, what, what, what are those differentials in your mind with your approach? Yeah. Unfortunately, the only names that will easily come to mind to me right now, aren't that useful because they're just probably going to suck either way. But uh, a player like Marcus Mariota at this point, I don't know if I could really take him in best ball unless I'm doing like a, a wide field tournament thing where I'm submitting a ton of entries because, uh, Sorry, Mar- Marcus Mariota, in any case, would be very interesting to me as a fantasy quarterback if I thought he had job security. Um, after that Ritter pick, I don't really have much faith in his job security. And even if his backup had been Felipe Franks instead, you still would have to worry about Marcus Mariota staying healthy. So uh, with with Ritter there, there's a pretty high chance Mariota is kind of just, uh, I won't say he's like a goose egg all year, but he might be a goose egg for like the final, I don't know, 12 weeks or something. And in best ball, I don't think you can really afford that. Like in best ball, um, you can't be getting zeros right off the bat. Like you're going to have enough guys getting hurt as it is. Like you're, you're going to mm-hmm. need luck to make it to the finish line. You can't set yourself back by, by taking on cases of, of players like Mariota who could just end up not playing really, I don't know, beyond September or whatever, uh, if that. But in redraft, I would be very interested in Mariota as like a last round pick or something like that because – you can just cut him in redraft if he turns out to be the zero that you're, you're worried about. But in best ball, you're just stuck with him in that case. So um, just in the meantime, before we hopefully can think about that more and put together a more helpful list, um, I would just be more leery of ending up with total duds in best ball since you can't change your roster. And yeah. in a tournament setting, there's, of course, like upside to consider in, in a player, even if they end up a, a zero nine times out of 10, if they give you a one time out of 10 where they're a huge value in a tournament setting, it still makes sense to go with it. Um, but in the meantime, I would, I would rather take quarterbacks who I'm just totally sure will start uh, barring injury. Yeah. That, that's, that's a good approach there. Yeah. But because you, you can't have that in season management for, for best ball, of course. So yeah, when you're, when you're kind of, threading a thin needle as it is, as far as, you, you know, what, what kind of injury luck uh, you, you may or might, may not run into. 
um, then yeah, absolutely. I, I think you lay that out pretty well there. Um, let's see. Oh, what one little one last chirp uh, from from Julia? I thought Derrick Henry had five yards of carry at Alabama. Oh, uh, he was way over that. He um yeah. he he was way over that and on a on a really monstrous volume of like thirty yeah, he, carries a game. He won the freaking Heisman Trophy. <laughs> yeah, um, like it's, if I had to pick a, a running back from Alabama in the past, uh, pre after Terry Grant, who who was Saban era. Yeah, I mean Kenyon Drake is the worst one. I would say I think I think Drake's even worse than than Yeldon. As bad as it turned out for Yeldon, but um, those two, you know, it's like they were they were both especially Yeldon, he was a star at Alabama. I guess Drake was just kind of a backup to Henry most of the time and Lacey before that. But uh, yeah, it, Yeldon was a star there. Robinson is kind of a similar player. He's like 6'2", two, two, whatever it is, and not, not heavy enough for how lanky and tall he is. Um, just a worse version of Yeldon, which basically makes him Alfred Blue, I think. I'll always like to picture an alternate universe in which Bo Scarborough was actually... Oh, right, Bo. Yeah. <laughs> Bo Scarborough, uh, definitely better than Robinson also. Maybe not as durable. Yes, unf- unfortunately, yeah, the, dur- the durability was kind of the, the downfall there. Uh, Scott wants to know, biggest uh, riser and faller at- after the NFL draft. So, um, you know, for, for me, the-, the fallers would have to be, at least if, you- if you're looking at these guys for, for redraft, would have to be Traylon Burks and-, and Garrett Wilson. You know, I'm or not Garrett Wilson, I'm sorry. Um Traylon Burks and Jameson Williams um, as a faller. That, yeah, I would say. I, mean, oh, I, I would them. say my, my like view the on them. Spot? My view on them is worse uh, that, than it, it was going into the draft. I, I think oh, that wow. it couldn't it couldn't have been worse for Williams, and I think Burks is going to get overexposed. So, so but I got to ask: is, is that because Burks was less convincing as a prospect than you thought before the draft, or because you're specifically concerned about the Titans? Um, it, it, it's a combo of both. Uh, I think that the, the, the going to, to Ryan Tannehill and like just penciling him in to have the AJ Brown type of role where AJ Brown, when he played last year, like a 27% average target share per game, like he can't handle that. I, I don't think. And I, I think that he's, I think he's going to have a rough learning curve and I, I think it could go, I'm not saying that he's Laquan Treadwelling, but like, I'm worried. Um, yeah, I mean, fair enough. I'm, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little concerned for Burks, if only because, yeah, they are putting so much on him right away that you could you could easily forgive him if he were a little bit shaken by by these expectations. I don't know if he really expected to be <laughs> to be AJ Brown his rookie year, so so maybe maybe he's uh, reeling from that. I don't know, but I'm intrigued by Burks's upside there. I mean, it may, a lot more risky than a player like Drake London, I would say. London, I, I I should mention, I just think he's I think he's awesome. When he went eight, when they took him eighth, I was just like, I went from being a sort of truther of London's to just feeling like, um, I don't know, if, not not saying like the mainstream now agrees with me about how good he is, but like before the draft, I was worried like, oh yeah, he might fall to like twenty seconds or something. So if, he's, if people think he's running a four six five or something like that, so when he went eighth that kind of removed all hesitation for me for, related to London. Like, I don't even care about the quarterback situation there. I'm just, I'm totally in on London. So the draft changed that for me. Um, sure. But in, in Burks's case, I, I actually still think he has the most upside just because some of those routes are rather simple, you know, just kind of like 10 yard, 12 yard in breaking routes, post routes off of the play action. 
And while I'm a little concerned about Burks's ability to pick up the offense, I guess, and like run routes the right way and just get Vrabel's trust, I suppose. I really think he can't screw that up if it is that simple, you know, like three routes. I, I feel like he can get it, but um, yeah, it's, it's concerning to me because I just don't like what the Titans are doing. Generally. I think they're doing a lot of strange decisions. So it's, it's uh, my concern with Burks is almost like, I I'm worried that the Titans liked him in the first place. You know, like, <laughs> I think they just, they're making a lot of bad decisions right now. Mm-hmm. No, that's it. That's it. That's a good like a- added angle. On but uh, the, the biggest riser uh, or the, the biggest falls, I think, are just pretty much the quarterbacks. And the biggest riser um, probably has to be uh, Sky Moore, right? Yeah. I mean, or is this your opinion or, or just like what you've seen? Well, I thought I thought because uh, I mean, hell, when we did oh, that, one, that, I was going off of my own personal opinion. Oh, yeah. I, I, was, I, I was just going to say when we did that rookie draft way back in like February or whatever. Uh, I think I got Sky Moore in the third round of that, and now he goes in the first rounds of of rookie drafts, and I think mm-hmm. even as high as something like the seventh round in like redraft in best ball. Uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm misquoting that, um, but a lot of people because a lot of people believe uh, that Juju Smith-Schuster is not good. Most people believe Michael Hardman is not good. They're so deluded on Hardman that they've convinced themselves Valdez Scantling is better. So if you necessarily believe that those three are bad enough to, to fall into one group together, then you at that point have to believe Patrick Mahomes is going to have a good year or that Sky Moore necessarily picks up all of that slack, which he won't. That slack isn't there either. Um, but Save that's this for the end of the show. I know. Got, yeah. a whole sorry, segment sorry, sorry. on this. <laughs> um, but yeah, what, we will get there. I uh, didn't mean to fully, fully cut you off. I was kidding. No, it's a good thing um, you did. It's, there, you know, we we gotta we gotta touch on a couple more dynasty things here, and then we'll switch over to, to best ball. Yes. Um, so beyond that, uh, rounding out the rest of your team, so uh, you went Taylor, Mahomes, Eckler, Hopkins through the first four. Uh, Gabriel Davis, Juju, Christian Kirk, love that pick. Uh, Alan Lazard, Albert O in the ninth. I thought about taking him. I think like two rounds earlier, but People I had scared already... about dual shits. Uh, oh, you can't How do you use it. Right. He's cool or whatever, but he he's he's 17 pounds lighter than Alberto and two tenths of a second slower in the 40. Uh, Alberto Oquagunum is gonna rake. He's a monster. Yeah, yeah, I guess like the one thing that that I did notice when um, I, I was going into the the research on, on Dulcich a little bit was that you know that and I don't know if this was necessitated by just the the lack of receiver depth that the Packers had last year, but that they ran a lot of two tight end personnel. So I think that Dolchich like could have a, like a path to getting on the field. But the problem is unlike the Packers where the, like you had Devonte Adams and then it was just kind of like up for grabs um, elsewhere. Like the Broncos have a loaded receiving core, in my opinion, you know, between like, you know, Sutton and, and Judy and, and Tim Patrick. And then you have Albert O like the, the target. Yeah. So like all of that, I think is, is the bigger problem that, that necessarily um, the offense it we'll have to see if Hackett brings it like that two tight end, like the usage the same way that he does, that he did in green Bay. But if he does, then I could see Dolce being on the field, but then, you know, you, you can also apply the, the old axioms about, you know, rookie tight ends struggling and, you know, it wouldn't shock me if, if he did. Yeah. I like him. And I thought I thought it was a fine pick by the Broncos. Uh, I even understand what Hackett meant when Hackett was saying, like, we don't have anybody like him. Let's go get him. It's like, yeah, it's it's good to have as many different types of qualified football players as possible. And, and Dulcich could very well be that. 
Um, it's just that, like he said, they they're going to run plenty of two tight end looks. So uh, from for a head coaching perspective, having having a player like Dulcich and spending a third rounder on him, even if he's only projecting for like 350 snaps, that's something a head coach ha- has an easy time justifying. They don't think in terms of like GM brain, where like, oh, we have to get this much uh, projected APR for a second contract to be worth this pick slot. No, they're just like, give me guys, just give me, just give me, give me guys who who you know got that dog in them. Who and could be dudes? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Dulcich is like a good player. It's going to be hard for a play, uh, coach any coach and Hackett included to look at him and say like, Oh no, I don't want that. They, they just see like a good player and they don't need to believe that the players they already have are bad to justify wanting to add them to their team, you know? So I've seen a lot of people specifically say, uh, well, Hackett, they're, they're spending a third round pick on Dulcich and, and Albert Equegmanum was only a fourth rounder. The new regime is, is staking themselves to Dulcich. And there's a couple ways you can think through why this is not likely um, one is that Albert Equegwinen would not fall to the fourth round again if he were in the draft again. If you can't get past that one step when you're running the whole draft capital scenario thing in your head, if you can't convince yourself that the player you're assigning the, the capital to would actually go in that round again today, then it no longer applies. So hmm. at worst, this is more like two third rounders competing against each other. And yes, the new regime picked one but not the other, but they're been, they've been with neither of them. Hackett has not coached Dulcich. They're, they're, they're both starting from scratch. So when starting from scratch, I'd rather have the guy who is 17 pounds heavier and two tenths faster in the 40. And yeah, so uh, that to me, yeah, that there's no, there's no doubt that Alberto is, is that, is that top uh, t- tight end in Denver. It's, that's going to be a, you know, a fun offense. We, we've been yeah. waiting for, for years for them to like figure out a quarterback uh, post Peyton Manning. They've had really good receiver talent and tight end talent for years now and just haven't been able to tap into it. Finally, we, we think we'll be able to see that now, now that Russ is there. Um, late round picks, you had Kenny G, Kenny Galladay, that is. Uh, yeah, maybe that was a bad one. I was like, yeah, <laughs> he'll play. Who cares? I got <laughs> to get someone for bye weeks or whatever. Um, and as, of course, as, Alan took my guy, Paris Campbell. Otherwise, I probably would have took Campbell there or something. Uh, well, you know, as Primus once said, they can't all be zingers. Uh, then you got Van Jefferson, uh, David Njoku, James Robinson. Love Njoku, then, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I think he's. I think he's gonna rake like this year and after it's that. It's finally happening. Yeah, it is. I think. Um, well, don't get me wrong. I'd rather have someone other than Stefanski running the show because I, I don't like what Stefanski has done with those tight ends. But I think in Njoku's case, they're so invested at this point, and with with Hooper out of the picture, uh, I think Stefanski will kind of just not like he won't be able to miss the epiphany this time. Like he's just going to some, sometime in practice because he had to put Njoku out there for the whole time. He's just going to notice like, wow, that guy can jump really high. should have, should have thought about doing something with that before. Maybe I will now. <laughs> this is news to me. And then uh, for, for the brand at the end, uh, Nicole Hardman in the 14th. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I got that. I got the wide receiver one and the wide receiver two for the chiefs losers. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Let's let's get on over. Uh, we'll, we'll run through my team uh, real quick. I picked out of the tenth spot. Got Cooper Cup, Jalen Waddle, and then this is where the the running back deflation really worked in my favor. Uh, to be able to walk away with Alvin Kamara and Nick Chubb as my third and fourth picks was just awesome. I, I was I was really pumped about that. 
Um, really excited. I think that both of those guys are, are definitely still in their prime, so that they helped me in, in that in that win now window. Uh, Lamar Jackson in the fifth. Um, you know, I, I think a, a healthy year from him. I, I know that there isn't a ton of help around him, and the offense can be uh, clunky at times. But um, Lamar is still a stud. Before Love his Lamar. injury last year, he was starting to do things that we hadn't seen from him before. You know, le- leading the team on on these double digit comebacks. You know, being asked to do more as a passer and succeeding uh, with those added expectations. So in on him. Not worried about the injury from last year, also. So that no worries there. Um, Darren Waller. Couple reaches here from me. Admittedly, I, I would I would guess um, Wandale Robinson in the seventh. Gus, you think Edwards Waller in the, in the sixth eight. is a reach? No, no. That uh, Waller. I oh, after um, Waller. Okay, I, was gonna say, yes. I like that Waller pick a lot. Yeah, that 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 I think, especially with you know the way that I had constructed it, where I had two receivers, two uh, two running backs, and my quarterback already figured out. I figured you know t- uh, drilling in uh, to the tight end market what made some sense. Went with Wandale Robinson and Gus Edwards following there. Uh, I pro- I would guess I probably could have gotten Edwards like three rounds later. So Yeah, Edwards might have been a bit of a reach. I don't know if Robinson is, though. Like I've, I've been kind of going on a very uh, violent back and forth swinging up and down between, you know, panicking about him and, and getting way too high on him. Um, the panic we talked about the last podcast, probably him being 5'8". Mm-hmm. It's basically just Tyreek in terms of good case outcomes as far as that goes. But then I start uh, becoming a bit of a truther about it and start convincing myself like, no, th- this will work, though, because he's different than the other five, eight guys. But he is. That's the thing. He is different than those other five, eight guys who failed. And uh, a guy like Jalen Darden, for all we know, could break out in like his third or fourth year, thus providing a second or, or hopefully third case study in addition to Robinson's instance of, of a good a fantasy receiver who's five foot eight, but um, yeah, it is, it is a little hard to take that leap, I guess, when uh, Tyreek was such an outlier himself, you know, and uh, whatever, uh, whatever Robinson has going for him, it, it isn't four two speed. So uh, it's, it's going to have to work differently than it did with Hill. I just am kind of optimistic just because Robinson's production was just awesome. Like so good, both at Kentucky and Nebraska when he was like true freshman. So He's, he was just red hot for two different programs and played way above his team baselines in both cases. If the Giants are really committed to him, I think it's going to work, even if it's kind of like a first-time deal. Yeah, no, I think so too. I mean, he was a big-time recruit, delivered on it you know, right away, um, goes to Kentucky to play receiver and just you know carried that entire offense. Like that, that – I don't know how much the the Will Levis hype has has poisoned your timeline like it like it has mine, but um, that, I'm trying to avoid all 2023 class. Yeah, as, as you freaks. as you should, but um, <laughs> Will Levis exists basically uh, be, because of Wondell Robinson. Like he he uh, carried that entire. Is he offense. the one who's like 190 pounds, Levis? Oh no, no, he's a he's a chunky boy. He's like oh, who am I thinking of? Let me think of uh, Bryce that. Young. Oh yeah, him. I was actually thinking of another one yet who's also but yeah, young young is basically like Chucky Keaton kind of frame, which won't work. He's gotta get, I, get a I little don't bigger. think it's gonna I don't think it's gonna work either. Um that, but um I, in any case, yeah, I mean Robinson, especially given how good he was at Nebraska too, you know, it's like mm-hmm. this it's really hard to 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 bet that the third time is gonna go poorly for a guy who just aced everything the first two times. 
That's what I'm saying, man. So I, I thought that was a, a worthwhile gamble. So I wanted, wanted to get a little bit uh, risky, but uh, still good with that. I was, despite the the reach on on Gus Edwards, um, get getting Rondale more in the ninth round. That that felt good. Um, I like I like KJ. Oh, that was you. Nice. Yeah, I'm surprised he lasted that long. And by the way, Rondale could be in addition to Darden and Tyreek and Wandale, he could be the fourth good case outcome of of that five foot eight or less. And um, like I'm 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 probably lower on more than most people were last. I can't tell how high people are on more at this point. I was lower on him than most people last year. Uh, I think maybe it's starting to be more the other way. Like people are kind of moving on from him too quickly. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's just been one season, like, you know, get, give him some time. I, I think that he's, he's talented. He's a crazy athlete. So I like him. Um, KJ Osborne in the 10th. I think that, I don't know if he has long-term star potential, but I, I like his potential role for, for this year. And I thought he, he, out outdid my expectations a year ago. Uh, Nico Collins, I think if Davis Mills turns into anything, uh, so I, I would like that. That's who I should have took instead of Galladay. Like Galladay is just the expired version of Collins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good comp. Uh, but Mo Ali Cox, I, I figured you you'd dig that one. Yeah, uh, in 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 the twelfth. I would have um, took Najoku though. I would have. I, I'm a Mo okay. Cox truther. I just I can't trust Chris Ballard is the problem. Fair, definitely fair. And then uh, rounding it out, uh, I don't know if people were expecting this guy to even be drafted in in this particular format, even though it's 12 teams and 14 rounds. But uh, I went with Ty Chandler uh, in, the, in the 13th, and then rounded it out with with Devin Duvernay. So I, I think you know we we talked a little bit offline yesterday about about Chandler. Really productive guy at both Tennessee and North Carolina. Tested really well at the, at the combine. And you look at the Vikings roster. Like obviously, Dalvin Cook is is the guy, and he's going to be the guy for at least a, a couple more years. Alexander Madison, I think, is going into the. We'll last see year. on that. I mean, Cook's got does, are both of his shoulders busted. The one's been separated like three times, which means he's probably not far from like a replacement. Yeah. Remember that, that Steelers Thursday night game this year is like, there's no way he plays. And then it's like all, all this like panic to pick up Kenny Nwongwu and stuff. And then cook plays and runs for like 200 yards. Jammed him full of like elephant painkillers and (laughs) put him out there and he just murdered them. Yeah. He was, he was nuts. So, um, but I I think Chandler at least has like that, that talent. Like I, if we were doing the the NFL draft again, like I would take Chandler over Ty Davis Price, like a thousand oh, times out of yeah. a thousand. So I wasn't um, even a big fan of Chandler. I kind of I kind of was just like no opinion really because I thought he was fine. Like I didn't have a negative opinion. He's clearly better than the LSU running back. So you know, just look, looking ahead on that one, and then Devin Duvernay, who I think I think you know is kind of an undervalued. I mean, if you're ranking receiving cores right now, the Ravens are obviously like near, near the bottom, but they still you need get to count Mark Andrews. They, mm-hmm. they weren't taking all those tight ends just to uh, whatever play field goal blocking. So that, that's a, that's a good point too. But I I, I like Duvernay. Um, so I thought fourteenth round. Uh, I like Duvernay. Yeah, man. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll get to him later. Uh, hopefully, uh, before we get on over to um, our next segment, talking about the best ball draft from this morning. Uh, got a message from our friends. Over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Do you love fantasy sports? Are you ready for a new challenge this year? Dynasty Owner is the new way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an actual NFL franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique and challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager. You will have complete control over your team. You can build through the draft, make trades, sign free agents, and manage your team's salary cap. Can you create a dynasty of champions? Sign up now at dynastyowner.com and start building your dynasty today. All right, let's get on over to uh, the best ball draft. Uh, I, I think after doing like a million best ball drafts last year and never once, and I guess thankfully in hindsight, uh, getting the first overall pick, I got it this time. And uh, what did I do? Jonathan Taylor, of course. But things get uh, a little bit sketch after that. Um, so many receivers come flying off the board. Unsurprisingly, Cooper Cup goes second. Justin Jefferson goes fourth. Jamar Chase, Devontae Adams, also first rounders. Stephon Diggs, Tyree Kill, Debo Samuel, CeeDee Lamb, and Mike Evans all go off the board before my second pick. So I'm just kind of pinched a little bit as far as, as receivers go. And I, I went ahead and I took A.J. Brown. So that, that's a bet on talent. I I don't know if the Eagles thing is going to work out. I don't know if, if Jalen Hurts is, is going to work out, but having A.J. Brown there gives it a shot of working out, of course, and, and then some. And it's not like A.J. Brown was a function of good quarterback play in Tennessee, really. Like, he, he if anything, was the one that was dragging that along. Right. And I guess for what it's worth, I – I was definitely skeptical of Jalen Hurts going into last year. I don't think I was wrong to be skeptical of him. I think he really is limited as a passer, and I don't really think there's much to be done about it. Um, I thought in most games, his numbers looked better than they actually were. Like I thought there were a lot of points where it was just so ugly with Hurts that I like could barely keep watching. There's a and, lot of garbage time production. Absolutely. Yeah, especially as a runner, and in, in though he had some good stretches as a passer, by the end of the year, it became clear every time you take that sample over 30 pass attempts, you're, you're begging for him to fall apart. And I think that's still the case, but I'm, I'm pretty, pretty, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to just say it'll definitely work or anything, but I'm, I'm not exactly worried about hurts with receivers like these, as long as he's got AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard on the field. I don't know. The defense still has to cover the run threat that he poses. That's not something they can't just like come out there 
and, and call a pass defense uh, or like switch to a, you know, a pass heavy look when they want to after the fact, like they have to go in prepared to defend everything each play before the snap. So before the snap, you don't know what's going on. Even a little bit after the snap, you don't know if Hertz is going to run it. You're always going to have to keep some resources toward keeping that run threat contained and to do it, you have to take away from your pass defense resources. So I might be concerned about Hertz's ability as a passer in general, but in that particular scenario with receivers, particularly as good as these, I don't know. I, I'm not sure he can screw it up. I'm not sure uh, a quarterback worse than him could screw it up. So I think he'll be fine. It is a different question though. When you're, when you're wondering, can AJ Brown and Devonte Smith eat as much as they and their fantasy investors want them to, and I, I don't know, I, I guess the pie, it won't be that big with a, with a quarterback like Jalen Hurts, but it also might only be those three guys. Like, and I got both, I got both Brown and Smith. Sorry, what? I ended, I ended up uh, doubling back. So despite yeah. my, my, like, I just kind of, that makes sense though. I saw how my team was unfolding and I was like, you know what? Like, I, I think at this point I got to, I got to dive in with both feet. So in, in the event that this Eagles offense just goes nuts, um, then we and I have both. I have basically like what sixty percent of, of their you know uh, receiving production right there between yeah. Brown and, and Smith. Yeah, and John, the thing too is you didn't take Brown or Smith at problematic prices. Like you got them, if anything, a little late. Like if, with with some of those receivers that you mentioned going ahead of uh, your second pick, I think you're borderline lucky Brown was there in the first place. Like I think uh, him and T Higgins would have both been. Uh, worthwhile picks there and maybe if you do like another draft and you get that exact same scenario I would I would try to like diversify on that sort of basis but particularly in best ball and particularly in tournaments getting those two Eagles receivers actually makes sense and I guess this kind of uh, goes back to that question from earlier about best ball and uh, you might be able to say that Brown and Smith are preferable in best ball just because they are so explosive they, they could have monstrous games especially Brown but you don't really know for sure going ahead, going into each game, how likely it is. Well, I guess you're starting them both either way. So maybe it doesn't matter. Um, but in best ball, you, you're, you're more able to um, capitalize on the stack. I guess you can't, you can't have both Brown and Smith on a redraft team, in my opinion, or at least yeah. it'd probably be a, it'd be a weird, weird ordeal. Maybe it could work, but in best ball, it definitely can because um, you're, you're getting basically that wide receiver one spot accounted for the vast majority of weeks and uh paying only what the third and a sixth to do it so that's how i see it anyway and, and i guess for what it's worth i am very high on both brown and smith as talents there we go all right so feeling better already i, I dig it um, well john also olave yeah i didn't even notice that pick before that's 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 who your real ringer is i i love my olave pick um so, uh, so I, I went ahead and got him i, I really i really do like my receiving core um, yeah overall overall um so it, Moving Olave forward. is your wide receiver five with St. Brown as your third and Devante as your fourth, I think is more than good enough, especially when you have Taylor and Kyle Pitts. Yeah. And I, you know, I did have to, to walk the walk a little bit because I, I have been a believer in, in Amon Ross St. Brown's projection for, for this year. I just think that he, he suits what Jared Goff does and what that offense does. So, um, you know, I'm, I think that, you know, it'd be better if this was a full point PPR type of format, but even in, in even in half point, like it is on, on underdog, like the, the nothing wrong with 90 catches awesome. in half point PPR. 
No. So I, I, I will take that all day. Um, got a couple uh, comments here for, from Julia, just a couple of quick, um, quick hitters. So, so don't have to spend too much time here, but uh, Burks or London fantasy points per game. Uh, so just which one do you prefer this year? I do think Burks has more upside, but I still take London practically because I think he has plenty of upside himself and a higher floor by quite a bit. Waller or Hawkinson? Uh, I'll say Waller. I am maybe a bit of a Waller truther, though. I, I think he's just awesome, whereas Hawkinson to me is merely good. And also, I've got plenty of respect for St. Brown and DeAndre Swift, so I'm a little bit worried about Hawkinson's competition, I guess. Yeah, I think I think so, too. I'm, I, I'm starting to wonder if, if Hawkinson really ever becomes even I mean, he'll, be, he'll be real good, you know, but it's like Waller is such a high standard to reach. Yeah, he's he's crazy. Um, but, you know, I, I start to, you know, the, the Devontae Adams addition along with Hunter Renfro seemingly being like really ingratiated with 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 that offense now. Yeah, it, it, I don't know if Waller can like a repeat uh, of 2019 or whatever his best season was. Well, but the thing is, Waller was basically clearing that space for Renfro, you know, so uh Defenses, I think, A, will adjust a little bit more to Renfro. Like, I think he put up those numbers without them really caring enough to try to stop him. And B, Devontae Adams being there might just make Waller impossible to defend because they're going to double, probably try to triple Devontae, which that was never the case when Waller was there before, obviously. He was always getting the double and triple teams. Yeah, because, you know, they, they had some semblance of or some combination of promising but not at the moment, particularly threatening uh, re- receivers on, on the outside. So defenses could definitely, you know, cheat, cheat to, a, you know, slow Waller down as best as they could. And then uh, last one real quick, uh, J.K. Dobbins or Gus starting week one. It's, it's got to be Dobbins. I mean, yeah, that, Dobbins. I like Edwards, but Dobbins is one of the best. Yeah. So, you know, health being equal for, for both of them, both their knee injuries happened, you know, within a very, you know, short time frame of each other's. Um, Dobbins, the younger guy, not by like a ton, but it, I think Dobbins. Dobbins is just a star good. waiting to happen. I mean, he's he's a uncommonly good running back prospect. Yeah, I I tend I tend to agree. I, I thought that he was a stud for, from the jump at Ohio State. There, there's really not much that that's changed my mind on that one. And uh, Julia D- uh, Debo Samuel went uh, early second round in, in at best ball, so he went after uh, Stephon Diggs and, and Tyreek Hill. Um, with the fourth pick in that second round. Um, going back to the best ball draft. So, yeah, we rounded out that receiving core. Um, and I also got Kyle Pitts in the third. So, obviously, I'm, I'm paying the, the max price for Pitts. Um, I certainly could – going back, I certainly could have gone Nothing wrong with there. But, Pitts is uh, so good. We don't even have, like, a frame of reference for the kind of monster he is. Yeah. So, I mean, he's he's going to be, like, that, that entire – like, him and London are just going to get – pretty much all the work they're good man they're good i don't know maybe i'm i'm gonna get myself too high on Mariota thinking about it <laughs> um i got justin herbert in, in the fifth um i i didn't end up with any of his pass catchers so that, that's bad process but again no, knocking off the rust I'm, in, in I'm half point ppr and i don't even say so i wouldn't even say so in half point ppr i mean keenan allen is the best receiver and he's you know, you, you're basically getting Amon Ross St. Brown, what, like three rounds later for the same numbers as Keenan Allen, you know, like that's, that's better than stacking with Allen at a higher cost. Makes me, that, that's a good, uh, good little spin zone there. Um, probably, probably a reach here, but I, I was getting real, 
real scared about my running back room at post Jonathan. Still didn't have one. Um, hmm. Can't tell if it's your connection or mine, John. Guess I better talk just in case John's gone. Um, I'll talk about the running backs that John was picking. He took Damian Pierce in the eighth round, Ramondre Stevenson in the 10th, Chase Edmonds in the 11th. Why the hell is he going third out of those? Um, Khalil Herbert and Tyler Algier also rounding out John's running back roster. So, uh, got my the... back. Can you see me? Oh, can you, can you hear me now? I can. I was just putting you on blast for your stupid running back picks. Good. Uh, <laughs> But not really. Well, I do think it's odd that Chase Edmonds fell that far, but I think it's an awesome pick that you got him there. Even if I would, uh, I'd probably have to rank Edmonds way ahead of Damian Pierce, to be honest. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, I, I got to take a, a closer look at Edmonds, especially in light of just the. I don't. Granted, like, he is better in. He's he's better in full point PPR, I guess I should say. Yeah. No, he is. But you know, the, it's an island of uh, misfit mascots or whatever that down there in Miami when it comes to those running backs. So um, I don't know which one's going to emerge. <laughs> don't stare at the sun. For you one. and this team, definitely Edmonds. Okay. All right. Well, that, that there it is. Uh, that's the final verdict there. Uh, Herbert and then Algier. Let's, let's talk about Algier for a second because you, you were on him like early in the draft process. Um, you know, he's someone that, that ran for what, 36 touchdowns over the last two seasons yeah. at, at BYU. Um, yeah, and on not many carries. It was only like, what, like 350 maybe, something right. like that. He was basically scoring like every eight carries and breaking like a 40-yard run every 15 or so. So he's four six guy, but, you know, like way over 220 pounds, had all these breakaway runs because he he had all these force missed tackles, all these um, long, run, long runs. You know, I, I just – I don't see the Corderell Patterson – being the lit, like, I don't think that that's what Atlanta, like, in an ideal world, would want. Like, I, I think that you you can give Cordero Patterson in this offense like eighty five to hundred carries, and and that works out pretty nicely. But I think you want to for that like d- dirty between the tackles work. Like, give it to Algier. I, I know that Damian Williams is, is there too, but I I just don't know what to make of him at this stage. So I thought that Algier. Of, of the day three running backs, I think that he has the best chance of, of actually doing something this year. Yeah. And I, I like Algier still, even though if he had run like a, you know, a four, five, five instead of a four, six, four, uh, that would have made him more like a conventional top 100 pick to me. Whereas at the four, six, four, it was like, yeah, take him on day three. Who cares? It's not a big deal. It could work out. And if it doesn't, who cares? Um, as a prospect, he's basically, uh, trait-wise anyway, he's kind of like Samaj P. Ryan, I would say. And I have some enduring truther, uh, truther impulse for, for P. Ryan. So uh, I don't mean to insult Algier with that comparison. I also think Damian Williams is pretty good, though. And I, I like Corderell in a... Uh, I don't know, like an abbreviated role, you know, like you said, basically you don't want him running between the tackles, but 10 carries per game could still be there for Patterson. And I think they should really try to keep him going as a pass catcher because he was just murdering them last year, uh, murdering defenses, I should say, last year as a pass catcher. And I think he can keep doing that. But Algier, if, if for no other reason, is kind of interesting. 
because he's aesthetically the closest match to Derrick Henry and the, the general power approach that Arthur Smith had with the Tennessee offense. And you can kind of see it taking shape, especially if you imagine Algier on the field. So when you have production like that in college as a runner, I'm going to be pretty interested and I'm going to be more interested yet when you're 220 plus, even if you're not very fast. And if that particular player lands in an Arthur Smith situation, I'm more than intrigued. It's just kind of like, this might be one of those cases where we need the injury, but if it does happen, if Damian Williams, who I also like, actually, if Damian Williams gets hurt, then Alger's on the field. And I don't think Alger's losing his job because Williams gets healthy again after that. The way, the way that uh, like the, you were like fle- fleshing out that, that point, it was just like the, the Vince McMahon uh, like meme <laughs> where like he's at the table and like you say one thing and he's like, whoa, whoa. And then, you know, like, and he's getting Shoot on the 20. field and he just falls out of his chair. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I basically do that. I like I'm I'm uh, you don't even really need to point at the meme. I'm just doing it on my own. Just your style. Um let's see. Uh last uh, handful of picks here. No, uh, Noah fan, Jameis Winston, Nico Collins, Devin I like Gugnay. Winston, by the way. I love Winston. Uh Winston's I think people think he's like some bum and that. doesn't have any help, but I think uh, I'm a, an Olave truther. So when that pick happened, I was like, no, it's it's on now. Yes, dude. So, yeah, Winston for best ball, I think, is nice because then you don't have to worry about starting him in, in, in redraft. But, like, if in the event that he has one of his wacky, like, 300-yard, three-touchdown games. There Winston and Herbert, I think, will definitely cut it, you know, health-permitting. Yes. So, I'm, I'm in on that. Um, rounding it out, again, I uh, went with uh, Devin DuVernay and, and uh, Paris Campbell. Let's talk about, about, about two – Two guys here, uh, Miko Hardman, a, a favorite uh, topic of discussion on the pod. But but let's start with, with Devin Duvernay before we sign off. So- yeah, Duvernay is interesting to me because he's a densely built, very fast receiver who was super productive in college. And when you break down his traits going on a case, uh, a trait by trait basis, you don't really find a red flag. Like if, if there's one issue with Duvernay, I guess it would be. He, he doesn't run certain routes that well. Like he's, he's not like a, he's not like a flexible receiver exactly. Like he's kind of, he kind of looks and runs bulky. So maybe there's certain like Deontay Johnson, quick twitch things that he can't do, but he's known for very specifically having great hands. And we know that he's great after the catch because he's, you know, already one, uh, whatever limitations he might have, he's already established as one of the NFL's more dangerous open field ball carriers for, yeah, for all pro teams. is a punt returner. Right. So this is a fast guy with great hands who is very productive and is tough to tackle after the catch. I feel like this should be pretty easy. I think that kind of player is, is easy to get involved. My, my hang up is Greg Roman because I think Greg Roman is just absolutely one of the worst offensive coordinators of distant memory. And I think it's in his nature to look at a guy like Duvernay and say, Oh, you're good after the catch. You're good on little gadget plays. So we'll not use you on any other types of plays. We won't give you a chance to show how good you are because I've got it all in my head that, oh, it's smart to use him this way, this one way, and then you use this other guy this other way. And it's like, no, just give Duvernay the ball, put him on the field, let that speed play, let that let those hands, let that yards after the catchability play. That kind of player, I think, will just work themselves out if you just give them opportunities without obsessing so much about like the specific scenarios you're putting them in. And Speed like that will play downfield. By the way, he's the fastest player aside from Lamar in that offense by far. Like Bateman is slower than him, even though he's about 10 pounds lighter than DuVernay. So 
when, when particularly given the way Duvernay broke out as a slot receiver at Texas's senior year, I'm inclined to buy in if he's getting the snaps. I guess I don't know if he's going to get the snaps. They could still have James Prochet stealing snaps from him. I expect Mark Andrews to play more receiver than he has in previous years. Uh, and he already played plenty of receiver. I think Andrews basically playing receiver is why that Marquise Brown trade happened. Um, so that that's, those are the things that I'm waiting to see how it shakes out. But if Duvernay gets the snaps, I don't know if you can stop a guy like that forever, even if you do as an offensive coordinator, for some reason want to. So, I mean, and just looking at, at like the broader context of the Ravens offense, like it, the Marquise Brown tra- trade happens and they go ahead and skew drafting a receiver the, re- the rest of the way. Like, I think that's a signal that they believe in, in one of Devin Duvernay, James Prochet or, or Tylen Wallace. And based on the roles from last year, it would be Duvernay is kind of that, that next guy up opposite Bateman. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on, on Bateman this year to, to perform, of course. And I think there, there's sign, there were signs. Last, it's an incomplete sample because he, you know, comes off the pup list in week six. Lamar Jackson only plays like a handful of weeks after that. So he's getting like, you know, half of his sample is Tyler Huntley tainted. Not that I hate Tyler Huntley or anything, but I mean, he's not Lamar Jackson. Um, but I, I, I like Bateman. But I think that the, there, there's room and there's value, especially in your fantasy drafts, when this, when the potential number two receiver in what could be an explosive offense or I'm sorry. Well, number three target, because I mean, obviously Mark Andrews. Oh, is, sorry. I was grimacing. Cause I was worried. I made noise into the feed. I wasn't grimacing at your comment. No, no, not at all. I, <laughs> I was just kind of getting it straightened out on, on the fly, but I don't know if there's another guy who fits that, that mold of, of having that potential projected role. Who's going that late in fantasy drafts with it, with like that level of like it finally clicking potentially happening. Yeah, and also the the Ravens don't have anyone other than Bateman and Duvernay who can line up outside at receiver, which is weird. Well, Wallace could, but he I even think Wallace, like Prochet, was more of a slot ideal kind of target in the NFL because he's neither big nor fast. But Duvernay, to this point, has mostly played in the slot. Like, they basically just put him in the slot to do uh, bubble screens, more or less. So it's interesting because I feel like they're either – uh, by the way, Mark Andrews usually plays in the slot as opposed to far outside, so I'm not imagining Andrews is picking up the snap. We might actually see a base loadout for the Ravens where, like, Duvernay and Bateman are outside and Prochet is in the slot or Wallace is in the slot. And then, of course, Andrews is going to play uh, plenty of slot snaps too. So if Duvernay's, if they're ready to put Duvernay outside, I have to believe they think he's ready for more because that's the one position where you can't avoid the jam. And, like, maybe the – Maybe Duvernay's not great at evading the jam. Maybe he's too kind of like bulky and big of a target. And like maybe defensive backs can kind of get their hands on him. But if that's not an issue, there's no conceivable issue. He is a fast guy with great hands who is really difficult to tackle. Like what, what else are we waiting for him to do? Okay. All right. It's established. Get yourself some, some last round Devin Duvernay while you can. I'll, I'll co-sign that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I hope I'm not jinxing him, but I, I do think it's his time. It's gotta be. Uh, yeah. It's sink or swim for, for sure. I think he, I think he at least gets the shot and that, that I think is worthwhile enough uh, late in drafts. And then uh, your piece uh, on, on me and, and you know, the, the oh. sky more addition, because I, I still can't figure out what the, like how this chief's offense is going to look without Terry kill. I think that's just such like a huge. I'm not team. sure they know. 
yeah. I think they're, they're they're I think they're entertaining going more run heavy too. Like I can imagine. By the way, I love Isaiah Pacheco, their seventh round rook, their rookie running back out of Rutgers. I think he could be a total total monster on that team. Like I, I think he could be really really good on that team. Um, but uh, we got to also I think Ronald Jones could be good on that team is the problem. So uh, it's just it's easy mode playing running back on that offense. And I'm sure Ronald Jones can, can do something. Um, so, yeah, maybe they're going to run a little bit more. Valdez Scantling, by the way, uh, part of his appeal is that he's got a blocking advantage on on corners against them. It's, you don't even really need to imagine him as a pass-catching target specifically. Um, so he could indicate more running, too. But in any case, uh, the Sky Moore question uh, and Juju Smith-Schuster, I guess, question, uh, how do you think through all of these individual players kind of dictates your, your valuation and and – Sky Moore being the new one with no recent bitterness in the case of Juju getting hurt the last two years and generally being a fantasy bust or Michael Hardman, uh, people getting so insanely pissed off at him for not coming through when he's a chalky DFS pick and not coming through as an eighth round uh, upside pick uh, on, in the case that Kelsey or, or Tyreek gets hurt, which neither did really. Um, th- those people all have to believe that Juju and Michael are bad. So they either have to believe Marquez Valdez Scantling is good or that Sky Moore is good. And they're mostly going that that Sky Moore is good. Uh, Sky Moore is, is good. I like him as a prospect. I thought he was a good pick. But people seem to think Michael Hardman just never produces or something like that. And I would bet you almost any amount of money, any person, any of these people writing off Hardman, uh, be it to explain Marquez Valdez Scantling hype or or Sky Moore hype, I bet they couldn't pick out of like a blind multiple choice question the per snap production that Michael Hardman has had, which by the way, he's been playing from ages 21 through 23. Uh, those were his third through fifth seasons playing wide receiver at any point. Like he was a co- uh, he was a high school quarterback played corner his first year at Georgia. So he's just not been playing wide receiver as much as many of these other receivers were comparing him to. And he's younger than most of them too. So that's worth keeping in mind. But if you take Michael Hardman's snaps, uh, sorry, his, his, his production from this point, and you projected over a thousand snaps, you get 79 receptions for 1,122 yards, eight touchdowns on 67.5% catch rate, 9.6 yards per target. I would bet almost any amount of money, the average Harmon critic would say something like, oh, uh, yeah, probably uh, like 50 receptions for like 700 yards and like three touchdowns. And like he probably catches 55% of his passes for like seven yards per target. There are very few receivers who have the production on a per snap basis that Hardman has to this point, and almost none of them are recent corner converts or playing from age 21 uh, while while uh, converting from corner to wide receiver. So I'm not saying he's a perfect player. He's definitely got limitations. He's never going to have great hands. That was never supposed to be his appeal. Uh, he'll probably never be a truly advanced route runner. It just doesn't seem like him. But he's already shown a certain level of play, and so – if you believe Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Sky Moore are going to run ahead of him, you should be able to commit to the prediction that they will catch upwards of 68% of their passes at 10-plus yards per target. Because anything less than that is worse than Mecole Hardman. What happens – or explain to me when it comes to, to Mecole. It's interesting lo- looking at his his um, his player data over, over on Rotowire. Again, if you haven't checked them out, the, the, the Roadwire player pages are great. There's good visuals, uh, a lot of good numbers to, to dive into. Why did his A dot, like it, obviously his, his role changed in, in some way last year, where his A dot in 2020 was 10.4 yards downfield. And then they used his speed last year to just send him 6.8 
yards downfield, like one of the lowest um, percentiles among NFL receivers. I mean, that that's, you know, what you do with like your, your big slow guys, not, not me, Cole Hardman with Tyreek Hill gone. Do they start sending him downfield again? Is he their best downfield weapon? Well, Valdez Scantling can definitely make the safeties turn and run too. So sure. if there's a decoy function in this offense, it could be Hardman. It could be Valdez Scantling. I don't really know. Um, I, I definitely think they should have been getting him more downfield targets. And I'm sure the reason they didn't that, you know, at least they tell you is, well, teams were giving us so many too high looks. We couldn't, they were just sitting deep all the time. And so we had to go underneath and last year, especially that doesn't really make sense to me because it's like, even if they're playing just too high, every snap, you should have been sending Miko that far downfield anyway. So he could have been the decoy because when Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are there, yeah, make me Harvin a decoy to free them up. Um, but they, they were giving him targets underneath as if like trying to get, I don't know, the defenses to pull up a safety or something. And I don't know. I don't know why they thought that would work or if that was what they were doing. I don't really know, but it, it definitely was something to do with like defenses realize we have to stop letting Mahomes bomb on us all day. So we're going to put two safeties back and say, whatever, throw, throw it to Daryl Williams for 10 times for 120 yards. That's better to us than letting, uh, Hardman and Hill get deep. So maybe that's it. Um, if so, running the ball better this year would be a good way to break up the two high. The way you beat the two high is by running until they put the safety up and then you go deep on them again. So I'm optimistic that Reed will find some kind of way to get this going. And in the meantime, I, I think the way people just act as if Hardman straight up won't play is completely ridiculous. And, and it's certainly not based on anything other than like, assumption that oh they signed Valdez Scantling recently and they drafted Sky Moore so they hate Hardman if if you want to reason that way that's fine and certainly there's nothing you can tell someone who believes that uh they they lost Tyreek Hill like they need to go get guys Hardman has only been very good overall and and to the extent that people criticize his play sorry the, the things that they criticize his play over if those criticisms didn't apply if he caught every pass they've always bitched about him dropping or whatever, he would have been an almost perfect player. He would have been not just merely good. He would have been one of the very best. And if you can't find range in the middle for a player, you're, you're just fixating on things that don't matter. And in the case of Hardman, it's basically personal bitterness that people let cloud their thinking. Like they're pissed off that he didn't turn into a star when they drafted him. So they think he sucks, but he doesn't. Yep. So don't, don't grind your axes. Go ahead and take a take a look at you know what. Don't take what, Sky more in the seventh round unless I'm in your league, please. <laughs> yeah, he he went I think eighth uh, in 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 this one or in the eighth round um, of this draft. Yes, I like Sky more. I was I was one of those people telling people about Sky more in the first place, and I'm telling you now, don't do this, <laughs> please. Yeah, so he went unless he went I'm ahead of. Yeah. He went ahead of Christian Kirk. He went ahead of Chris Olave. Christian Kirk is going to be the number one receiver for an NFL team. Sky Moore. We got to worry about Justin Ross playing ahead of Sky Moore, let alone Michael Hardman. See, all right, there, there it is. That'll do it for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. From Mario Puig, I'm John McCackney. Thanks for listening. Try Roadwire today, free for ten days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.